Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Carlos Colazzo today to discuss the NAT system. Yes sir, what's going on? Not too much. Carlos, your second year doing the NAT system. Last year, uh, you had the pleasure of writing up Juan Soto as a prospect. We saw the impact he had. You know, the Nationals lost Bryce Harper. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. He's currently a free Potentially agent. Potentially lost. He is yes. unsigned. <laughs> he is uh, no longer with the team. We'll As of this podcast, so if we'll, he signs right after you listen to this, sorry. Obviously, it's never you never get better losing a player of Harper's caliber, even with his ups and downs. He's mm-hmm. still a very, very talented player. But when you have someone like Juan Soto come up and post the highest OPS by a teenager uh, in baseball, modern baseball history, yeah. it helps cushion the blow a little bit. Carlos, when you look at the Nationals as a whole right now, how do you see this team both from the major league perspective and the farm system perspective? What's the total picture of the Washington Nationals? Yeah, well, well, the Nationals have come in first or second in the National League East uh, since 2012, and a lot of that has to do with Bryce Harper obviously being on the team. Uh, but despite their disappointing year in 2018, they still finished second in the division and should compete over the next few years with a very strong starting rotation. And then obviously you've got some homegrown guys and Juan Soto, Victor Robles, who we'll talk about, uh, as well as Anthony Rendon and Trey Turner, who they traded for. Um, but no, they're still in good shape uh, as far as the major league team uh, is concerned, regardless of whether Harper comes back. Obviously a, an outfield that's filled with Harper, Robles, and Soto, I mean, that's got to be the best in baseball, or at least a, a really strong argument for one of the best in baseball. It's in the conversation. As long as these two young guys continue doing what they've done so far and continue to develop as you would expect. But even if Harper doesn't go, I'm not going to say it's, it's not a good thing if Bryce Harper leaves your team and you're not replacing him with, with some of that caliber. And I don't know what you would do. But the fact that you have Soto, who leapt from number two, uh, after when he when we wrote him up, he was actually coming off an injury-plagued season. We really hadn't seen him put it all together, uh, and we didn't get a chance to put him in the handbook because he flew through the system so quickly after Robles went down with an injury uh, himself early this year. Uh, we didn't get a chance to write him up again, but he proved that I mean he's an elite prospect if he was going to count towards the prospect rankings this year. But to have him and Robles, who are both very dynamic players offensively, and then Robles brings even more to the table defensively as a potential premier center fielder and base runner. Uh, that's exciting. And, and while the, the Nationals farm system might not be one of the best, we currently have it near the bottom third, I believe, of all the teams, they continue to produce players who impact the team at a very high level at the major leagues. You might not have the depth of the Padres or the Braves or some teams like that, but when you're producing Soto, when you're producing Robles, when you have guys like Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia who maybe are going to break out in their own right uh, in the next few years and have potential to be really impressive players at the major league level, I think that's all you can ask for from your farm system as you continue to compete at the major league level. Yeah, there's no question. The Nationals disappointed last year, but when you look at you know other teams who disappointed compared to you know the Nats is where they are, mm-hmm. the Nats are not in a terrible place. No. And, and part of that, like you mentioned, is the guys they have uh, at the top of their system, not to mention, but Anthony Rendon's still in his 20s. He's yeah. been around a while. People think he's older than he is. And Rendon, for my money, might, is one of the most underrated players. I was in just baseball. about to say that. I feel like we mentioned that a lot around here. To the like, he might not be 
as underrated around here as he is generally, but I, I do agree with you. He's he's a touch underrated. I feel like he's a guy who could be an MVP candidate any given year if the Nationals are contending, considering how that award goes most years. But I think what's really hurt more than anything is just the playoff success that they've had, or, or the lack thereof. I mean, they've been one of the best teams in baseball. If you go back to 2012, I think I said that year earlier, if you go back to 2012, they're one of the most winning teams in the regular season, but they don't have a playoff series win to speak of. So I think that hurts a little bit. But it hurts I mean, a they're, lot. Yeah, they're especially still, the some of the ways does. they've lost it. Yes, they've been some close series, two, three to two lost series, uh, the division series. So if they had gone over the edge, it'd be a little easier to kind of diagnose this team this offseason after a disappointing 2018. But the fact that they fell off in Bryce Harper's last year under contract. You don't know what he's going to do this offseason. It creates a little bit of, I don't know, uncertainty, but they're still a very strong club with reinforcements coming. Uh, this isn't a team, I think, that's going to lose their star and go 67-95 and exactly. next year. They're, still they're very much here. still in a playoff window. One of the guys that is going to be counted on to help them get over the Bryce Harper breakup, which, mm-hmm. again, as of this podcast, it's a breakup, but they could be getting back together again. We'll see where, where uh, everything lands on opening day. Victor Robles, yep. he made his debut at the end of 2017, 2018, hurt, got hurt early, which has been a story of him for mm-hmm. quite a while now, is his inability to stay healthy, came back, finished the year in the majors, still prospect eligible despite reaching the majors each of the last two seasons. Yep. In your discussions with both in-house and out-of-house evaluators regarding Robles, do they see the same guy? Have the injuries taken a toll a little bit? Where is he now relative to years past? Yeah, so he hyperextended his left elbow during a game early in the season, so that was the injury that kept him out for most of the year. Um, it has taken a toll in the sense that he just didn't have the number of ABs, but as far as the tools and a skills perspective, I didn't really hear anything from any scout that said he's fallen off in this area because of the injury or because of the lack of time. And even when he got back on the field, particularly at the major league level, when he was brought up at the end of the year, he really tore the cover off the ball offensively. He hit 288, 348, 525 um, with a 127 OPS plus, had no problems offensively in his, really his first, uh, it's not a regular look, but uh, a decent chunk of major league playing time. I mean, he's still an elite runner. He's in the 95th percentile uh, of guys, according to sprint speed, a stat cast metric there. Uh, he really can just do everything. I think there's going to be some question of how much power he hits for, uh, but that'll just depend on how many games he's playing. I think he has solid average or even above average power. Um, if he can get to that regularly, he's going to be an elite, elite player. But just what he can do with his hit tool, making contact, getting out of the box quickly, uh, he's a fantastic base runner already. He's made strides defensively. He should be a plus-plus defender in center field. I mean, really, he could, has a chance to be one of the top five, top ten center fielders in baseball um, right away. So I, I don't think there's any drop in tools or skills because of his missed time, but you just want to see him on the field, obviously. Still will be 21 on mm-hmm. opening day. Uh, still a very young kid that has a lot of, uh, lot, lot of potential uh, still to grow into. One thing you said that I, I wanted to hit on is you, mm-hmm. you mentioned his base running and, and you used the words great base runner. One of the things that had been the deal with him previously was he was incredibly fast, mm-hmm. but he was actually a pretty poor base runner. He'd get thrown out a lot. Um, I saw it when he came uh, when he was with Potomac. He'd get himself thrown out on the bases, and I even saw it a little bit last year too mm-hmm. when he came uh, and played for Durham. I saw him get a little reckless and, mm-hmm. and end an inning. Um, 
you know, at the major league level, again, small sample size, three for five, you know, three steals, two caught stealings. What sense did you get uh, discussing with the Nationals internally what strides have been made for him as a base runner? Because, again, plus speed doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't know how to use it. No, exactly. I think it's just more of, a, more of him kind of getting used to the running game at the higher levels, kind of adjusting to uh, more impressive battery combinations between the pitchers and catchers, really figuring out how to get guys thrown out, regardless of the speed. I mean, he's, he's maturing in pretty much every facet of the game, defensively, offensively, and on the bases. Uh, I do think you make a good point that just because you're fast, it doesn't necessarily translate to being a great uh, base runner. But uh, I think the stolen base percentage has gone up for him, and he's a 74% uh, success rate career guy for the minors. Um, so just with his foot speed and kind of the natural progression you would expect to see, I think he's going to be a headache for, for catchers for a long time. Do you expect him to be the national starting center fielder on opening day? Given the amount of at-bats he already has, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't do it unless there's some service time manipulation that's still going on here. I guess you could see that makes sense from a business standpoint, but with the Nationals trying to compete, running him out, I mean, he's ready. There's no question that he's ready to play every day for them now. They don't have a locked-in center fielder, uh, in my mind, and he's the most talented player for the job. If we're holding him back, you're... I'm, it's silly to me. I would expect him to be entrenched in an everyday role very, very quickly next year, this coming year. Is it a leadoff hitter long term? You mentioned there are power quests, and she showed a, a, quite a bit of power mm -hmm. in his limited big league stint last year. You mentioned that 525 slugging percentage. Um, but is the end of the day result more of a leadoff hitter, you know, speed and doubles type? Yeah, I think so. I think, especially when you consider kind of the other hitters that are in that lineup. I mean, Trey Turner might be your obvious leadoff guy, but he can definitely be a top of the order type hitter. Um, I think there are some more power options in the middle of that lineup. I think he potentially could become a guy who gets to enough power that you can throw him into the middle of the lineup and maybe have him produce uh, a few more RBIs depending on what the situation is. But I don't know why you wouldn't want a guy like him hitting first or second in your order. No question about it. Carter Keyboom was a first-round pick mm -hmm. who also had had some injury issues. Uh, got healthy, had a really fine year last year, got up to double A, made mm -hmm. the futures game. What strides has Carter Keboom taken, and what tier of prospect is he? Is he now a top 50 caliber guy, is he more 50 to 100? Like, how good of a prospect is Carter Keboom? Yeah, I think he's probably right around that 50 range. That's what I would guess. Just not having been in all the top 100 meetings that you're in throughout the year, I'd probably have less context around that. Um, but what impressed me in talking to scouts about Keeboom this year was the how he impressed defensively. He was a guy who last year we wrote up as a guy who would probably have to move off of shortstop to third base. I mean, he's a bigger guy. He doesn't have the quick twitch that a ton of these shortstops have, uh, but he really, he really performed at the position. He's got more than enough arm strength. He's very instinctual there. He kind of knows where to position himself, how to attack the ball. Um, he's probably not going to play shortstop with the Nationals, considering who they have there, unless Trey Turner gets booted out of town for whatever reason. Um, and then you look at Rendon at third base. Uh, the Nationals are a team that are probably going to give him some more innings at, at third and second and see what they can do to improve his versatility. But I, th I think it's pretty impressive that he's kind of solidified himself as a shortstop when there were previously questions about him. But uh, the bread and butter with him is his offense. I mean, he's a 60 hitter with 60 grade raw power. He gets to that pretty well in games. He's a very patient hitter. Uh, so much so that the Nationals actually wanted him to become a little bit more aggressive within the strike zone this year. And I think he struggled a little bit at the beginning, but once he kind of 
uh, figured out how to be aggressive and kind of take that aggressiveness and kind of implement that with a, a normally selective approach and kind of use the best of both worlds there. He really figured something out. Um, and I think he's a guy who can be a potential middle of the order bat. We were talking about Robles maybe being a top of the order guy. I think Keyboom definitely has the power and patience to sit in the middle of a, a lineup and do really good things for you there. Yeah, you mentioned him kind of finding that balance. Uh, got off to a really bad start mm -hmm. hit Buck 98 in April. Exactly. And then May rolls around, he hits 390, and uh, June comes up, he hits 344. Yeah, the comes. last 99 games, he hit 301, 370, 469 with a 9.5% walk rate. So, I mean, he just has tremendous balance at the plate. He can hit to all fields pretty well, and, and he's now tapping into his power more frequently. I think he had a career high in home runs this season. Yeah, 16 home runs this year. Uh, his previous high was nine uh, between a few leagues and, and low A ball. So the progression with him has just been very solid as he continues to go up the minor league ladder. And, and he's a guy who, realistically, you could see him at the major league level at some point, maybe late this year, if there's a spot for him to play, you might be rushing him a little bit. But if you need him, I mean, he's there and he's shown uh, to be able to handle himself with the bat really well. Robles was the clear number one in the system. Mm -hmm. Was Keeboom the clear number two, or is Luis Garcia in the mix there? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I was really torn between these two. I think I leaned towards Keeboom just because of the level that he's at, and he's kind of shown it against some more advanced pitching. He's put He has more impact power at this point. Um, but Garcia is really exciting as well. What he's done at his age, at the level that he's played at so far, is extremely exciting. And and I had guys with the Nationals who they didn't directly compare him to Juan Soto, but they said he has some of the attributes in the box in the sense that he makes adjustments, uh, how Juan Soto made adjustments within games at the at, in the play at the plate, excuse me, uh, and that's very impressive for a guy who just played his 17-year-old season. He's about to be 18 years old. I mean, he's a guy who has tremendous aptitude offensively, defensively, um, as he's kind of developed physically he's lost a little bit of his quickness previously we had him as a well above average runner it's closer to solid average now uh, but with that he's also starting to tap into a little bit more power offensively so uh, he's going to be a very exciting player to watch and we have a couple of Luis Garcia's who play shortstop that are prospects in the National League East the Phillies also have a Luis Garcia who's a special player but I think there's a real argument if you want to put uh, Garcia number two in the national system it just depends on your belief in him moving forward. He's gonna kinda has to prove it a little bit more, but both two exciting guys to have at the top of your system. Yeah, I mean he turned eighteen during the season. Mm. He was the age as a of a high school senior. Yeah. Got up to high A and almost hit three hundred. Yeah, he was more than four and a half he was almost four and a half years younger than the average hitter in the Carolina League. Uh, and like you said, he hit two ninety nine with four homers. And really a respectable strikeout to walk rate for that level as well. He, Again, as, really as, a, as a senior in high school, basically. It's unbelievable. It's uh, very, very impressive. Fair to say these top three are, are in a tier of their own, and then there's a pretty significant drop-off? Or yeah. is Mason Denenberg closer than we think? No, I think that's fair. I think I would put Robles in a tier of his own, and then I'd put Garcia and Keeboom in this kind of 1B. I mean, I think it's fair to say Robles is a top 5, top 10 prospect in all of baseball. I think... I would want to put him in his own category. The next two could could be guys that maybe become that with uh, further steps forward. And then Denneberg is a guy who was drafted uh, this year in 2018. He didn't throw this year, dealt with some biceps issues during his spring of his senior year in high school. 
Um, so we'll need to see him in pro ball to see if this stuff is still what we saw uh, prior to the draft. But he's a guy that I loved uh, throughout the spring, kind of covering the 2018 draft. He's got an electric fastball. He's got a great frame, six foot four, uh, with room to fill out, extremely athletic. He's a converted catcher uh, and showed a lot of promise with an improved breaking ball as well. So he has all the tools uh, and, and the physicality to become a top of the rotation arm. If everything works out, there's a long way to go still. He's obviously very young. Uh, and doesn't have any track record in pro ball, so we'll see. Uh, but I also think he has the makeup and the, the work ethic and the, the kind of smarts to figure it out. Yeah, the Nationals certainly have not shied away from, from pitchers who are injury risks uh, mm -hmm. coming out of the draft. And yeah, and that's worked out well in some cases, and as we'll touch on, it hasn't exactly panned out so far in other cases. But um, Denneberg, it'll be fun to see what he does this year in his first taste of pro ball. But uh, a lot of pitchers also dot this Nationals list. I mean, the hitter, it's nice to have hitters in those top three spots, but I also think it's pretty fun when you have a lot of pitching depth because, I mean, just the injuries that you can, and the Nationals are our system with a ton of guys who have former Tommy John surgeries. You mentioned it. They don't really shy away from that, particularly in the draft, particularly in the first round of the draft. Um, so they're going to have to deal with that, but but they do have a lot of pitching depth as we kind of work down the list. Yeah, you mentioned all those pitchers, uh, numbers four through seven on this list are all pitchers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned Denenberg didn't pitch at all after uh, after uh, signing. Tim Kate, their second rounder uh, this year, had Tommy John surgery in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some history there. But th these four guys, Denenberg, Will Crow, Tim Kate, Seth Romero, was it pretty clear cut that that was the order? Or was there some debate with within that pitching, uh, those pitchers? Um, I think with Denenberg and Crow, those guys were pretty safely in their spot. Uh, Kate, it was it was a matter of where we wanted to slot him in, and I think we put him in a fair spot. And then Romero, Romero is going to be a pretty polarizing guy at this point. Um, I mean, he's a guy who had a lot of issues coming out of college. He was kicked off his Houston team for the 2017 draft. Also uh, a Tommy John guy. Yeah, also he just had that this year, actually. So that's another red flag on his resume. He hasn't really pitched well when he has been on the mound and healthy, but he's a guy who still, even still, when you talk to scouts about his stuff, they rave about just the pure stuff that he has. He's got a 60 fastball, 60 slider, 60 changeup. I mean, pluses across the board in terms of raw stuff. Uh, but he has makeup concerns. He was sent home from spring training this year before he had to go down with the Tommy John surgery. Uh, and he's got a lot of work to do. We're not going to see him until 2020. Uh, so maybe he can take that time and kind of figure out the things he needs to do off the field. The Nationals people I talk to, none of them think he's a bad kid per se, but he just has a lot of growing up to do. And when you're a first-round pick with those questions prior to the draft and you kind of continue to have them after your second year in pro ball, uh, it starts to be a bit concerning. I think there's a real argument that he could have been dropped down further, but because of his just pure stuff and the fact that he's left-handed, the ceiling is still there. Uh, if he can kind of come back healthy and put it all together. But there, there are, is no player in the system with more question marks maybe than Seth Romero. Yeah, you know, Romero with all those issues, it's also not like he had those issues as a teenager coming out of high school. This mm -hmm. is a college guy. By the time he gets back from Tommy John surgery, he's going to be 24 years old mm -hmm. without having thrown a single pitch above low A ball. Exactly, and that is a concern. I mean, his career has been stalled and backed up multiple times uh, because of just... Everything is done off the field, and now this injury. The injury is, is I mean, the biggest thing in terms. If if he comes back and the stuff is not there, it'll be a lot easier to kind of float Romero down this list 
until he makes us maybe put him up. But until that stuff goes away, it's really hard to like let go of the, the potential ceiling that this kid has. You know, we mentioned these pitchers, four, five, six, and seven, all guys who, you know, first rounders, second rounders, mm -hmm. had, you know, some name recognition coming out of the draft. There's another right-hander here mm -hmm. at the bottom, uh, right-hander named Sterling Sharp, who... Yeah, he was drafted out of Drury uh, in 2016 in the 22nd round. So he does Division two guy, 22nd exactly. rounder. He does not have the pedigree of these guys that we've been talking about previously, but... Sharp is a guy that I'm personally really high on after talking with scouts and nationals evaluators. He's extremely gifted athletically. He was recruited to play college basketball, uh, and that athleticism has helped him out on the mound where he has a fastball kind of sinker slider combination. Uh, he has one of the highest ground ball rates in Washington's system. Uh, it was 61.8% at high class A Potomac and then 55% at AA Harrisburg. He's lanky, so he could still grow into his frame and kind of fill it out a little bit more to get a few ticks up on his fastball potentially. Uh, and then he, st he still does need to work on his slider, sharpen it up more, get it a bit more consistent. Uh, and obviously there are not a ton of guys who are great starting pitchers, right-handed starting pitchers, especially without a breaking ball at the major league level. So that'll be worth watching. But I really do love um, just his athleticism and his ability to locate the ball. He's got a good strike-throwing ability. Uh, and he's he's got plus deception, according to the scouts that I talked to. He hides the ball really, really well in his backside. So he's a fun one. Um, again, he doesn't have that name recognition, but he's pitched really well, uh, and he could be a back of the rotation starter if everything works out for him. Yeah, you know, he pitched well up to Double A this year. Um, one thing when you just look kind of on paper that mm -hmm. maybe you know, raises an eyebrow a little bit. More than a hit per inning yeah. with a pretty low strikeout that rate. That is, the, yeah, that's the concern, and and that's one of the one of the flags that was thrown up when I was kind of looking to see where I wanted to fit him in. Is with these pitchers without that strikeout rate and without like kind of that plus or potential plus breaking ball, it is a little risky. Uh, I decided to go with it just because of the projection he still has in his body, the athleticism and the ground ball rate, but. You are right, he needs to miss more bats moving forward and a lot of that's gonna depend on how he kind of takes the next steps to uh, improve this slider. Uh, it's shown flashes at times uh, and it could become, become an average pitch. He might have enough to be a back end of the rotation starter with an average slider and a solid fastball changeup combination to pair it with. Um, but a lot's gonna depend on maybe the gains he can take physically uh, and just with the consistency of that breaking ball. Nine and 10, you had Yasel Antuna and Jake Irvin. Mm -hmm. Um, and two other young guys who, you know, in the case of Antuna, a teenager signed. Yeah, he was signed in that same class as Luis Garcia. He's probably going to continue to be talked about in the same kind of the same vein with, with him and as well as uh, Jose Sanchez, who are just three high-profile international guys from the 2017 class, I believe it was, 2016 class. Um, but, yeah, he's a guy who, again, unfortunately had Tommy John surgery. And as a position player, it's not as extreme. Uh, but it always is disappointing when you do have Tommy John surgery, regardless of what position you're playing. Uh, and Antuna is a guy who was handed almost $4 million. So he was the highest paid of that international class. Uh, and he's going to continue to get reps and be pushed forward because of that. But he didn't have a great season when he was healthy. He didn't put the bat on the ball as much as maybe you would expect him to. But still, when you look at him from a, a physical standpoint, he's got the most upside physically of the three, Garcia and Sanchez, the same international guys we're talking about here. Um, and he's got the most power potential, so he does have some upside there. 
and probably stick in the dirt with his arm strength and just fielding ability. Still needs to show improvements there as well. Um, so there are more concerns here with Antuna than there are with Garcia. Uh, and I think that's kind of borne out in, in where we ranked them. Um, but you kind of want to see him put it together once he gets healthy a little bit more. He hasn't really blown you away yet. But the tools are there. The frame is there. Scouts still like the way he looks on the field when he is there. Um, and he's a guy, I mean, Garcia, I think, is the exception. These are very young kids. It's going to take a little while for them to figure it out. And he's a guy who's definitely still figuring it out. With Antuna and Irvin at the back, mm -hmm. were these clearly numbers 9 and 10? Or were there other guys that were in the debate there? Yeah, well, Antuna originally was number 10, and we actually had Daniel Johnson slotted into the top 10 before he was traded um, to the Indians. So that made my life a lot easier because Daniel Johnson is definitely a locked top 10 guy in this system. Uh, so once he was traded away, there was a debate. I think I don't think Jake Irvin is like the no-doubt lock. Like this is the 10th guy here. I think there are a number of other players who have an argument there. Rowdy Reed, Gage Canning, Reed Schaller, a couple other recent 2018 picks, as well as Irvin. And I think you can even get down to some of these other catchers here. Israel Pineda is a guy who I think could pop with another strong season. Um, so I think once you get to this 1 through 9 range, I'm happy with all of them. And once you get to like 10 through maybe even 15, uh, that's where you can maybe move guys around based on your own preference. And I wouldn't really argue with you too much about it. What in that case made Irvin your pick here at number 10? Irvin is a guy, he, he has a lot of the starting elements you like to see. He's got a big six foot six, 225 pound frame. Uh, he was drafted out of the fourth round, or in the fourth round of the 2018 draft this past year. He's got a solid average fastball. Uh, low 80s breaking ball, solid finish that he can throw for strikes. Uh, he's got a changeup that he threw in college sparingly, but uh, scouts really liked what they saw at the time. And then in pro ball, um, it also looked pretty good to the guys that I talked to. Um, so I think he's a guy who can move quickly. He might not be, uh, as, he might not have as high a ceiling as some of these other guys, but I think he could potentially be a guy like Will Crow who kind of moves through the system quickly, is a good strike thrower, can eat innings and maybe be a back-of-the-rotation type arm for you. Any sleepers in this system, guys that you think? You mentioned Israel Pineda, mm -hmm. someone you think can really pop. Anyone else that's a, a name to keep an eye on? Yeah, Israel Pineda is the obvious one uh, for me. I just think he has some really exciting offensive skills, bat-to-ball skills. There are a number of arms, uh, power arms they have in the back end, a couple guys who are pretty young as well who could pop if they take steps forward. A lot of these guys are, are pitchers who have really impressive fastballs but don't really know where it's going. I feel like there are a lot of systems who have guys like that. So guys like Ronald Pena, guys like Malvin Pena, uh, John Adone, he's a guy who's fairly young and has a pretty solid track record uh, throwing strikes. Uh, I believe that was Adone this year. Yeah, there, there are so many arms in kind of that 20 to 30 range that could pop. Um, but maybe one of the guys who's a little higher up is James Bork. He's a guy who has two 70-grade pitches uh, and a fastball and then an out pitch in his power curve that's in the 85 to 88-mile-per-hour range. He was moved to the bullpen and really succeeded in that role. Um, so he's a guy, I think, that could maybe have an impact with the Nationals sooner rather than later, as opposed to some of these other guys we're talking about. Um, but outside of Pineda, really just take your pick with the offensive play or with the pitchers, excuse me. I mean, there's a number of guys who could take a step forward, but with all of them, there are a number of question marks as well. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely an interesting group. You mentioned we have those top three guys who are, who are top 100 guys, mm -hmm. and then that group of pitchers who 
Mm -hmm. They it, all show you something one day and yeah. other days they don't. There are locks in the top of this system and then it falls off fairly quickly. But uh, as I was talking to Nationals people, they're really excited with the depth they have. Uh, they know that as you get down the list, there are not a lot of 50s. It's a more 40s and 45 type guys. But they just had a guy like that last year in Jeffrey Rodriguez, who was a pitcher in the 25 to 30 range on this list who made some improvements in his strike throwing and kind of repeating his mechanics and then threw 52 innings with the big league team and was a useful piece in a trade to get a catcher they needed at the major league level along with Daniel Johnson. So if if that happens with one of these other guys, you can get another solid major league pitcher and that's always useful. Absolutely. Well, Carlos, thank you so, so much for uh, taking us through the national system. We appreciate it as always. Yes, and, sir. Uh, that was fun, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Uh, always, always. For Carlos Colazzo, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>